You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Hey, Red Door, I've got to be honest with you. Um, you shouldn't be listening to me teach you about prayer. Listening to me teach about prayer is like listening to a dentist who has bad teeth and gum disease, right? It's, I've never been good at it. I've, I've, I've never been a good prayer. And it's not because I don't enjoy time in silence and solitude like we talked about last week. I love being in that place. I love being in the environment where prayer happens. But I just, I always have the feeling like my prayers are just bouncing back off the ceiling, Like on their way up to God, they just crash against the ceiling and fall to the floor. Here the other day at the office, a bird came flying in and smashed into the window and fell in a heap dead on the pavement outside the window. And that's how I feel about my prayers. So often it just feels like they crash against the ceiling. I've never been good at prayer. And so thank God that my ability to share a word with you from his words isn't contingent on my proficiency, my expertise, even my experience. I thank God for that. And today I just want to share with you some encouragement, some motivation to pray, and then we'll finish with uh, by addressing a few of the obstacles that we need to overcome in order to pray well. And so... To begin with, let's let's talk about some motivation. The, the key motivation that I think we should have in coming to God in prayer is to understand who he is, right? To understand who God himself is. And so I want to talk to you about who God is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's begin with the Father. When it comes to prayer... God is a father who loves to hear our prayers. It's interesting talking about the way of Jesus, um, that Jesus' own disciples picked up on the fact that he was a great prayer. Right? We saw last week that he regularly withdrew from crowds to silence, solitude, lonely, remote places in order to pray. And his disciples picked up on this. And so they asked him how they should pray. They asked him to teach them to pray. And so in Luke's gospel, in chapter 11, we see this. Chapter 11, verse 1 to 4. Luke says, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not bring us into temptation. It's so interesting, the place that Jesus begins when he begins teaching about prayer is he begins with the fact that God is Father. 
that we should address him as Father. And because he's Father, he loves to hear us pray. I've got two kids, little kids, as most of you know, and I love the fact that they come to me constantly with requests, with stories, right, with questions. I love that. Now, if you're a parent, you get this. Even in the midst of isolation, right, the isolation that you're in at the moment where you're probably feeling like, you know what, I could do with five consecutive seconds without my kids right now. Like even in the midst of that truth, and I I get that, even then we could admit, actually, we just love the fact that our kids come to us. My boy Judah at the moment, he's six years old and he is infatuated with wildlife and dinosaurs. And I love that because when I was his age, I was infatuated with wildlife and dinosaurs. In fact, I still am to this day. So I love the fact that he comes to me with frequent, like a, like a never-ending stream of questions about wildlife and about dinosaurs. And the reason I love that he does that is because it shows me something about how he views me, right? He views me as present and as wise and as kind, right? He views me as present. Like he, he, he knows that if he comes to me, I'm going to be there with him. I'm going to be focused on him. I'm going to be receiving whatever he is asking me or telling me. I'm present. He also thinks I'm wise. That is, he thinks I'm able to answer his questions. And, you know, sometimes I just have to make up the answer to keep that illusion going. But but it shows me he thinks that I'm wise. I'm, I'm wise enough to know how to answer him and I'm powerful enough to provide him with what he wants. And he also, it shows that he thinks I'm kind, that I'm not just going to shoo him away that I'm not just going to say I'm, not, I'm, I'm too busy right now or I can't be bothered with your never-ending questions. Right? He, he, it reveals something about the way that he sees me as present and wise and powerful and kind. And so it is with God. Our prayer life, our coming to him constantly reveals to him that we believe he is present and powerful and wise and kind, and gracious, and all of the things that fathers are meant to be for their children. Jesus continues later in that chapter to to draw the parallel between God as father and us as earthly parents. And he says in verse 11, sorry, verse 9 of chapter 11 through to verse 13. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
God is a Father who loves to hear us pray. And prayer, fundamentally, is a child speaking to their Father who loves them. First motivation, God the Father. Then we move to God the Son. God the Son makes all of our prayers acceptable to God. That's what Jesus does. He actively makes all of our prayers acceptable to God. So even if you think, well, I'm not a good prayer, I don't have the right words, or other people are better prayers than me, or you know, I just don't I don't know how to do this, maybe you haven't been a Christian for a while, whatever. The truth is that all of your prayers, as humble as they may be, are acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ the Son. How? Well, he makes all of our prayers acceptable to God because he makes us acceptable to God. He makes us acceptable to God because he has reconciled us to God through his death and resurrection. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, uh, 21 to 22 says this, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now he, Jesus, has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. The work of Jesus on the cross has reconciled us to God and the active work of Jesus as our mediator makes all of our prayers acceptable to God. I have this harrowing memory that kind of makes me sweat just thinking about it, but this harrowing memory of of being this 20-year-old kid, newly became a Christian uh, overseas, came back home, started to get into leadership at the church, was leading the youth ministry, the senior school youth ministry at my church, the first meeting I had with those leaders where I was really you know, trying to lay out the vision and show them that they could trust me as I led them into the, this new beginning. Um, we were at this cafe in Diamond Creek where I, was, where I grew up and where the church ministry was. And during the course of the night, I noticed that there was quite a famous sports personality in the cafe with us and so probably to show off knowing me I said to the leaders just check this out and I walked over to this famous person and I just started bantering and the response of this person gives me nightmares to this day because they just looked at me like I was nothing like I was an insect that they accidentally squashed on the table and and there was just a a silence which seemed like it went for minutes. And then this person just launched into me, cut me down publicly. How dare you just come over here and start talking to me like you know me? Well, devastating. I made my way back to the table with my fellow leaders and I was just like... Uh, back to the agenda, you know, and it was it was just a terrible experience. Like a month later, I heard that my younger brother uh, had run into this same person in the same cafe, but he had run into this person while in the company of one of his best friends, who 
also worked for this famous person. And so he walked up to the guy with this friend with him, and it was a completely different experience, right? It was like, hey, how's it going? Sit down with us. Let's have some coffee. Just completely different experience of this person. See, in that situation, who he was with made all the difference to how he was received. And so it is with our prayer life. Who we are with makes all the difference in how we are received. The fact is that we are, we are not just with Christ in approaching the Father in prayer, but we are, the Bible says, we are in him. So that every time we go to the Father in prayer, we are in Christ. And, and God the Father will no more reject us and the prayers that we make than he will reject his own son. So we have been reconciled to God through what Jesus has done, and Jesus actively makes all of our prayers acceptable to God, as humble and as stumbling as they may be. The other thing that Christ does for us, what the Son of God does for us in our prayer life, is he, he, not just, he, he not only makes us acceptable to God and makes our prayers acceptable to God, but he gives us confidence to pray. So in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 16, it says this, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That, that injunction to us to approach the throne of grace boldly comes after the writer to Hebrews has explained how Jesus is our mediator. He's like our priest. He, he's the one who ushers us up into God's presence. So we can be confident that God accepts our prayers. We can be confident to approach God in prayer because Jesus is with us and we are in him. Far different to the picture I have of words bouncing off the ceiling or smashing into a window like a bird that's, that has you know smashed into a window and crumpled on the floor. Far different to that is the reality that Jesus himself ushers us and our prayers into God's presence. So that's Father and Son, now Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actively helps us to pray. The Holy Spirit has a ministry of helping us. In fact, the Holy Spirit is referred to in the Bible as the helper. He is the one who helps us to pray. I love what John Bunyan said about the Holy Spirit helping us to pray. He wrote this. There is no man nor church in the world that can come to God in prayer but by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit enables us to pray. The Spirit helps us whenever we feel weak in our prayers. And he helps us in a few ways, right? First of all, he helps remind us that we are God's children. So he takes us back to the first point, Jesus' point that we are speaking to a father who loves to hear us pray, right? He, re- he actively reminds us of that truth. It tells us that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 to 16. It says this, 
all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And so the Spirit, as we pray, actively reminds us that we have that father-son, father-daughter relationship in which God welcomes and delights to receive our prayers. We have been adopted by him. And the Spirit reminds us of this truth. My my, My daughter, my sister, was adopted when she was five months old. We adopted her from an orphanage in Seoul in South Korea. And... She has spent her entire life, 30 plus years, living in our family as one of us because she is. But can you imagine how devastating it would be, both to my father and to the family in general, if some way along the way, after spending all of this time living as our adopted daughter and sister, she just all of a sudden started behaving like a slave, like an orphan. Imagine if she started going about things. How different would be the way that she interacted with us and with my dad? How different the whole dynamic of the relationship would be. And we, what we would need to do in that situation, if it ever happened, God forbid, would be to actively encourage her, implore her, exhort her and say, listen, you're, you're not an orphan. You're not a slave in this house. You're our sister. You're our daughter. We love you. You're one of us. You're with us. And so it is with the ministry of the Spirit. So often you and I go through life acting as if we had never been adopted by God. And the, the work, one of the ministries of the Spirit is to testify with our spirit that we are in fact adopted. And by him we can cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, hear my prayer. The Spirit not only reminds us that we're adopted, but he reminds us or he helps us to pray when we feel weak. And so again, later in Romans chapter 8, this is verse 26 to 27, it says this, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit helps us in our prayers, and he does it in a couple of ways. First of all, he helps us in our weakness. And the idea here is, uh, in the original language, is that the Spirit kind of bears us up where we're feeling weak, where we're feeling burdened, where we're feeling like we can't pray, we can't do it, the Spirit gets underneath us and bears us up. He lifts us up in prayer. He also helps us by doing a work of translation. So he takes the intentions of our hearts, and even when our prayers are feeble or disjointed, even when they're just groans, He takes our prayers and actively translates them and presents them to God. 
So we should never feel like, oh, I can't pray, I don't have the words, I don't know what to say, because the Spirit is actively doing a work of translation, taking our innermost desires, thoughts, the inclination of our hearts, and making them known to God. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this, of his own prayers. He says, I thank God that my prayers go to heaven in the revised version. <laughs> That's great. I thank God that my prayers go to heaven in the revised version. So this is the work of the Spirit who helps us as we pray. And so this is why knowing God is such a great motivation for our prayers, knowing that God is Father who loves, delights, enjoys to hear his children speak to him, to know that he's the Son who makes both us and our prayers acceptable to God, and to know that the Spirit is actively helping us as we pray. Now, I said I'd get to a few obstacles to pray, and I just want to motor through these pretty quickly, but I would encourage you after this, whether in your household, in your family, or in your small group, to discuss uh, in more depth some of these obstacles. I've got four, and then four quick answers to each one, okay? So first of all, first obstacle I think we come up against in our prayer life is this obstacle, this idea that there's not enough time there's not enough time to pray. And this is an easy one to answer, all right? Easy. All you have to do is stop lying to yourself. Uh, I hope you forgive me for being this direct, but we don't have a lot of time and we just need to get to the truth. If you're saying, I don't have time to pray, easy. Deal with that by stopping the lies. Just stop lying to yourself. You do have time to pray. You really do. Now, it might be true that you don't have enough time left over to pray once you do all the other things that you have planned to do in the day. But that's not the same thing as not having any time to pray. You need to reorder your priorities. And I think it's true that every single one of us has ample time to pray, to pray both in set routine, like a early morning prayer that we talked about last week, and in a ongoing communion ongoing conversation, ongoing engagement with God through the day. All of us have time to do that. So first one, knocked off, easy. Second one is about distractions. We believe there's too many distractions to pray. Now, really the way of dealing with this is you, you have to ascertain what is the nature of these distractions. If by distractions you mean you have too many notifications on your phone coming in, pinging, pinging in and disrupting your, your um, stream of thought in prayer, then that's an easy one to deal with as well. Just turn the damn phone off. In your early morning prayer time, don't get your phone out first. Just leave it on the bench, right, and go to prayer without it. Or best case scenario, turn your notifications off altogether. I did this at the beginning of the year, just went to the phone and turned all notifications off, including text messages, right? There is not a single ping that my phone makes. And my friends, the liberty that I have experienced, the freedom that I have experienced. Life is good with no notifications, all right? So that one's easy to deal with. Now, some of you have more legitimate distractions like kids, 
like little kids, right? And, and, he, and here I have all the grace in the world, particularly if you are a single mum or a single dad. Right? If you live in a household with a mum and a dad, you guys, even if you have the most chaotic timetable with the most chaotic kids, you need to figure out a time to give one another space for alone time with God, for alone time in prayer. Husbands need to do that for their wives. Wives need to do it for their husbands. You just need to do it. You need to bear one another's burdens in that and make space to do it. If you're a single mum or dad, you're in a whole different situation. I get it. Um. One thing that you could do, though, is is just sit down with your kids and explain to them the deep importance of you having uninterrupted time for prayer. Like just they probably don't get how important it is and so they're not acting in a way that's conducive to you having time to pray. When we were kids, I remember my dad made it really clear to us, us four kids, that if he was on the phone, we had to be quiet. We couldn't interrupt him. Right? This was back when the phone was attached to a cord, which was attached to the wall, right? so we couldn't just go outside and talk. And so every time he was on the phone, we knew we, we were not to interrupt him, we were to stay quiet. And the same is true of you with your prayer life. You just need to sit down with your kids. Even if you've got four little ones, you need to do, you need to do this and say, listen, when mommy is on the phone to God, right? When, mo- when mommy is praying, mommy needs some quiet, right? You guys need to keep the disruptions to yourself for that time. I remember hearing about, I think, is it Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, who had so many kids, I don't know, 50 kids, and, um, and, and so could never get any time to pray. So she would just lift her apron up over her head, and the kids knew if the apron's over the head, mummy's in prayer. And so they had to keep quiet, keep away from her. Third reason that we feel like we can't pray is that we we feel like we're too far from God. I would pray, but I'm just so disconnected from him. I'm just so far away from him. Even if I pray, I won't get to him. Or I just don't feel like I don't want to be um, disingenuous. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm far from God. I'm dry. I'm not going to pray. And that's a genuine concern it's a genuine experience i've experienced it myself i would just encourage you stay with us through this series looking at the habits of grace one of the antidotes to spiritual dryness is to exercise habits of grace now remember these habits aren't aren't graces in themselves they're not they're not grace that we get from god through doing but they put us in a position in order to receive grace from god so they kind of position us under the waterfall of god's grace and so avail yourself of these means of grace one of which is prayer the puritans are reported to to have said hundreds of years ago that if you don't feel like you can pray then you should pray until you feel like you can pray that might sound trite but it's not Actively engaging these habits, including the habit of prayer, will warm you up to God, will quench your thirst for God, will bring you close to God, in addition to the fact that you know now that even if you feel distant from God, 
all of your prayers go directly to God because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. All right, last one, last obstacle. I just can't get started. You just feel like you can't get started. Every time you sit down to pray, you just can't get into it. And I actually think that this is the most important one to address. I think this is the biggest obstacle to overcome. Those other things might be big, might be big things in your life, but I think this is the biggest one. The biggest obstacle is just getting started. I want to read to you a quote, and this is just to finish, a quote from John Stott, and it's a it's a longer quote, so I want you to stay with me as he describes the battle to get started. And so he says this, We need to win the battle of the prayer threshold. I sometimes imagine a very high stone wall with the living God on the other side of it. In this walled garden, he is waiting for me to come to him. There is only one way into the garden, a tiny door. Outside that door stands the devil with a drawn sword, ready to stop me. It is at this point that we need to defeat the devil in the name of Christ. This is the battle of the threshold. I think there are many of us who give up praying before we have even tried to fight this battle. I think that's true. So if you find yourself facing the devil and finding it impossible just to get over the threshold into prayer, that if only you could get over the threshold, then you would be free to enjoy communion and conversation with God. Then let me tell you, in order to defeat the devil, I want to encourage you to think back on the things you've heard in this message today. Think on who God is and contemplate who he is in your mind as you prepare yourself to pray. Contemplate who God is, his Father who delights to hear us and hear our voice, his Son who makes all of our prayers acceptable to God and his Spirit who bears us up and encourages us to pray and translates our prayers as we pray them. Contemplate who God is and then overcome the devil with the promises of Scripture. Rehearse in your mind some of the Scriptures we've mentioned today. Go over them and so defeat that devil with a drawn sword by proclaiming the promises of Scripture over your time in prayer and then enter in. Enter in that tiny door and meet with God in communion. Well, I hope some of this has been helpful to you. Love you guys. I'm praying for you, even with my own feeble prayers. I'm praying for you during this time. Let me pray for us just as we finish. You might like to bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much that you love us and that you love to hear our voices. I thank you so much for the sacrifice of your son on our behalf the fact that he has reconciled us to you and made all of our prayers acceptable to you. And I praise you for the ministry of the Spirit, encouraging us as we pray, helping us in our weakness and translating the groans of our hearts. Lord, may we even now engage with you on this basis. 
Lord, please give us victory over Satan who would seek to distract us and to distort the truth about you and to prevent us from entering into communion, daily communion with you. Give us the victory, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Grace and peace.